Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. It's going to be good. There's some people looking around. They have no idea what I'm talking about. You're about to find out. You came to a good night. It's a good night. Hey, you ready? I'm going to come right out of the gate. If you got your notes or your phone, whatever it is, open. I'm going to give you the title of my message right here. The title of my message is Missed the Mark. That's the title of my message. Missed the Mark. We're going to talk about it here. And uh, I got my boys to help me illustrate this a little bit. And I thought, I know my brothers were leaving. They were leaving worship. Are you guys, are you guys backstage? You guys still back there? Yeah, come out here. Come join me. They don't know what we're going to do. I thought that with everybody, we would have, I don't even know, a darts competition right here with everybody right now. Now, these things are real, so I apologize. I apologize if these guys take one to the eye or to the feet. These things, these are, these are hardcore. Yeah, they're going to hold it for us. They're going to hold it. So let's take two darts, two darts first, and let's stand like I don't know, like right here, and we'll go one at a time. Dear Jesus, please help us hit this board. But, okay, so the title of the message is Miss the Mark. If you didn't know this, the phrase Miss the Mark, it's an archery term. It was, co- it was coined by archers. And what? Oh, USA? Okay. It was coined by, it was coined by uh, archers where the first phrase they had was they wanted to make a mark was the first phrase. Now, if you make a mark, I don't know if I can do it or not. Ooh, no. So I missed the mark. By, okay. If you make a mark, which is what every archer is going for, it's a bullseye. So when they would make a mark, which was always the objective, they'd hit, they'd hit the bullseye. But the phrase then, missed the mark, came about later because they were trying to make a mark. So when they did not make a mark, then they said, we missed a mark. Did you know that? I just found that out, too. I had to look it up for the sermon. Okay, so are you ready? I would like to know, by show of hands, you're going to vote for myself, Pastor Steve, or Pastor Luke. Who do you think is about to win in darts? If you think Pastor Luke, get your hands up. Well, that's quite a few, actually. (laughs) He puts his hand up. Pastor Steve, put your hands up. That was a lot. And that was a lot. He goes, I hope I hit the board. Okay, and myself, if you think I might possibly... I had the least amount of votes in the room. Okay. So I guess we'll go in that order then. Pastor Luke first, since uh, I guess I said in that order. Let's go from like that, that sub right there. Here we go. I've never actually thrown a dart, he says. (laughs) Who voted for uh, Pastor Luke again? Okay, just saying. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Oh! Lefty. Oh, okay. We got nine and we got five. Okay, so that's 14 points. Wow, that's kind of dumb how the points were. You got so close to it, only 14 points? Okay, here we go. That is not how you throw it. That is how you miss, that is how you miss the mark. Okay, you're, no, do not do that. Don't do it. No, don't do it like that. Well, you're scared you're going to hit them, and then you're, like, making it your objective to hit them. Okay. Ooh. What is that? 
15 or scored weird? 15? The numbers are weird. The 15, okay. 15 and 10, that's 25, so he's in the lead, okay. Okay, so, okay, so 14, 25, Pastor Steve's in the lead. So the phrase, miss the mark, was originally an archer phrase. Have any of you ever said that phrase before, that you missed the mark? Okay, like a couple of you here. It's actually a pretty popular phrase now. It's become an idiom. It's in the dictionary here. And in the dictionary, miss the mark, it's actually like to miss the mark, means to fail or to just be wrong, basically. So when somebody missed the mark, you're saying you're wrong. You failed. That's not right by any means. So what started here with the archers and the darters, I don't, maybe not the darters, but here we go. Come, please. Come, please. Come, please. Come, come closer and focus. That's what it's called when you make a mark. Wait, why'd you move it? Why'd you, I was going to then hit it. Well, I was going to do it so then when it hits and it splits the previous one. That's what I was going to do. <laughs> Man, I feel so good that I get to preach the rest of this sermon after doing that now. This, this one's eyes closed now. Eyes closed. What we got? 11? What's the center? Does anyone know? Is that 50? So who got the least amount of votes? Me, 61 points. Give a hand for myself. I'm just joking. Give a hand for my brothers, guys. Thank you so much. Okay, so, wow. Guys, thank you for allowing me to do that. I, I'll leave it. I'll leave it. We all saw it, right? Everyone saw that. Don't try to take that from me like I know you're trying to right now in your mind. So this concept here, right, with archers, this idea of, and it, Obviously, we can bring this into a spiritual context that the objective of our life is to, it's to hit the center, to hit the bullseye, to make a mark here. So when they would hit anywhere other than that, they missed the mark, which now has become an idiom saying, okay, you've failed, you've been wrong. Here is the issue with our culture today. The issue with our culture today is that they are longing to make a mark in the world. They're longing to be known they're longing with their name, their talents, their creativity, their social media to be known, famous, let's say, to make a mark, to have fame. But the issue is this, especially in terms of how, if I'm about to define this for you and help you figure it out. If you are longing to make a mark, but you do not have Jesus, you will only ever miss the mark, which means failure. So here they're longing to be famous, but they are living in failure. And I think a lot of people have this misunderstanding of truly what it means to make a mark, make, your, make yourself known. See, for me, I don't necessarily care if I've known. We've, we've been asked this question before, like when we're releasing some of our music and things like that, like, do you want to be famous? Like when we've done other, you know, other venues and stuff, man, you guys, do you want, you're like famous. I'm like, believe me, we're not famous. Well, do you want to be famous? No, every famous person that I've ever seen in the history of ever They've either killed themselves, their marriages fall apart, their kids are a complete mess, their life is a wreck. Why? Because in their attempt to make a mark, they have missed the mark. And what I've come to find as you look in Scripture is it's really clear about this idea of having missed the mark. Do you realize to miss the mark that's in the Bible 
It's in the Greek. It's the word. I think you pronounce it hamartano, I think is how you pronounce it. Hamartano. So H-A-M-A-R-T-A-O-N, I think is how you spell it. So this is a Greek word that's used in the Bible, and different uh, versions of it too are used. But the Apostle Paul uses this word hamartano to show us what it looks like to miss the mark. You can find it right here in this scripture. He uses it in the Greek, but we're going to read in the English now in Romans 3, 23. Paul wrote, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now in that, in the English, can you see which word is the Greek word hamartano? So hamartano, the Greek word is the same English word for us, meaning sinned. Now this is used all the time in scripture. When you see the word sin or sinned, it's many times in that context of hamartano, which means what? To miss the mark. Sin, by very definition, is the understanding that we have missed the mark because we have fallen short of the glory of God. Which means this, Paul is trying to transcribe all of this for our understanding to make one very clear and simple message for you. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how good you think you can be. It doesn't matter how great you think you can live in your life. Everybody, no matter what you do, you have already been born into this. You have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, which means here, Hamartano, you have missed the mark. It doesn't matter whether you try from this point on to make a mark, you have already missed the mark. And I think this is something that is hard for people to to grasp. What do you mean? Like, I was born into this? And like, yes, see, as human beings, we have been born into sin. So from birth, we have already missed the mark. From the very beginning of our lives, so people go, well, I'm a good person. Listen, you can't be good enough when you're already sinful at birth. You've already missed the mark from the very beginning of your life because of how you've been, what you've been born into based upon a whole other story with Adam and Eve and sin into the world and all this stuff. We have all missed the mark here. The hope of this conversation here. So what do you do? Where is the hope? If you're like, well, I've already missed the mark. What do I do? Well, I only read you the first half here. Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then verse 24 says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So what do you do if you've missed the mark? There's only one person that can help you make a mark. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he paid the highest price for your sin and for my sin. He paid it from the blood in his veins that shed out on the cross for your sins and mine so that where we had missed, he would make. I don't know if you've ever, like, maybe you're not very athletic, and when you play basketball or something next to somebody, and, or maybe you're playing lightning, right, and you're in line. It's just like, you're just, like, chucking it up against the backboard, and it's hitting, and, like, you're, like, that person, right? And the person behind you, like, just gets up and, like, just make, make, make. It's where you're that person playing lightning, and some of you all know who I'm talking, like, you're like, oh, please don't call me out right now. Like, you can't make the shot if your life depended on it. Like, one million dollars, make this three-point shot. I mean... You see how lucky me hitting that bullseye was? I mean, like, the likelihood of some of you hitting that shot, you're going to miss it every time. This is the nature of our sin life. This is what it means to have fallen short. No matter how much we can try, we can't make it, yet there's somebody named Jesus who gets in the, sh the line behind us, and he can just swish it every single time. 
This is what I've come to talk to you about tonight. The understanding that you've missed the mark. You can't be better than anybody or everybody because you've already missed the mark. It doesn't matter whether somebody right now does or doesn't know God. It doesn't matter whether they're right or not with God. It doesn't matter whether you got a family member that they curse like a sailor and they drink like crazy and you don't. Listen, we can't judge anybody because every single everybody has missed the mark. Are you following me here tonight? This is the message. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he took the marks on his back so you could live a life that was marked from those marks, so that you would take that blood that was shed, and we're talking here now metaphorically, not literally we're going to shed blood on you, because that's, that's gross, but it's spiritually understanding in this metaphorical context that the blood that he shed, the marks that he took, he did it so that you could live a life that is not just missing the mark, but that is marked for his glory. You know, how many of you tonight, if you'd be honest in your spirit, you'd start resonating, maybe some of you for the first time, or maybe some of you just got to kind of have a checkup here, because can't we all just get a little religious at times if you've served Jesus long enough? You can have this thought process that you're better than people. You can have this thought, well, they do that, I don't do that. Or maybe some of you here for the first time, you've never had this thought before that, whoa, you've missed the mark because you have sin in your life and you've fallen short of the glory of God. Either way, let's just get honest, make everybody feel like crap here as we start tonight. How many would say, I've missed the mark? Anybody in the room, you want to join me? I thought we'd like start on an even place here tonight. Because the reality is every single one of us, we're in the same place at the foot of the cross. I don't care how tall you are, how short you are, we're all the same height at the foot of the cross. We have missed the mark. Now, we're not the only ones. You have to realize this. I'm not even talking about in this generation or in this world. I'm even saying, like, if you go back many generations, right, there are so many people that have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God they've sinned. Specifically, the ones that are crazy to me, that completely boggle my mind and confuse me, were the disciples. Because they walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They saw the miracles and the wonders before their very eyes. They were a part of all of it, yet they still missed the mark and they needed the grace of God. Why? Because there's no one that can live a perfect life except Jesus. Are there any perfectionists in the room besides me? Just wondering. Isn't it true? We try to live perfect and for some reason it doesn't click. I can't be that. It is impossible. I can't get everything right. Everything that comes out of my mouth is not going to be right. Everything that my hands form is not going to be right. Every place I go is not going to be right. Yet I, as a firstborn, type A, D-dominant perfectionist, basically the worst created person ever is what I just listed, I still aim to be perfect. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I'm a perfectionist and God is perfect. You know the difference? I'm trying to be perfect. He is already that. God isn't a perfectionist. A perfectionist is somebody who's, who's aiming to be something that they can't be. Jesus is already all that he is. Perfection, not a perfectionist. So here we've fallen short. And I look at the disciples. They've fallen short. And okay, that, that even hurts my mind more. I get why I've fallen short. But they walked with Jesus. Like they saw all of it happen. They're a part of every single transaction of the glory and the grace of God. They were there in the midst of it. And one of them I think of right away, man, Peter. Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus that every time anything monumental was listed, it's always listed with three names, Peter, James, and John. They were there. Peter had a very close relationship with Jesus. He saw some of the coolest things you could possibly imagine. Yet Peter, 
if you know anything about him, and we'll talk about him here a little bit, he continually missed the mark. Like he continually screwed up. He was in the midst of everything you could possibly experience with Jesus, and he still needed more and more of the forgiveness, the grace, and love of Jesus because he missed the mark. Think about this here. Peter was there. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. There was this dude that was dead for four days, completely wrapped up and mummified in the tomb, and Jesus goes, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus walks out of the tomb, and the Bible says they took the grave clothes off, and then it says in the next chapter, John chapter 11, Lazarus is kicking his feet up at the table eating with Jesus. Peter saw a dude that was in the grave dead, now eating next to him at the table. Like, they saw demons cast out. Peter was there, and he saw, he saw Jesus cast a demon into a bunch of pigs. Peter was there when Jesus would touch the cripple, the lame, and tell him to walk, pick up your mat and walk. He saw him put mud on people's blind eyes, and he saw them healed and receive sight. He saw him with the unclean, the leper community, that they were put into a whole other area because now leprosy, all it is is a skin condition. So you talk about anything from eczema to psoriasis to acne, that, that could have had that kind of stuff with leprosy. Now, some of it was crazy, like skin falling off of them. But some of it wasn't that bad, but if you had anything wrong with your skin, that culture, you'd place in another community. And here's Jesus wandering to a place that no one else will go, but he enters the space where people are most in need of him. And here goes the disciples with him. He sees, he sees them touch their bodies, and they become completely healed and whole and pure. He was there with the little boy with five loaves and two fish, and Jesus blessed it. And it fed 5,000 people, and they have 12 baskets of food left overwards. One of the crazy things I think about, and I think this is probably the, one of the most underrated miracles that you will see in the Bible that Peter was there for, is what's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where literally Jesus goes up on this mountain. I'll read it to you in Matthew 17, verses 1 to 3. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him, here it is, listed always first, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Nobody else, just them three got to experience it. There he was transfigured before them. Like he took on this shape, this form, this look. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, why is this a big deal for Peter? Peter knew the Old Testament law. He knew, he knew the, the, the dudes Moses and Elijah very well. He looked up to them. It was like these dudes were like all that in the Old Testament. So he's kicking it there with Jesus, the carpenter, a.k.a. the Messiah, a.k.a. the miracle-working healer, and he's seen all this crazy stuff. And so Jesus looks like a carpenter one moment. They go up on this mountain. You're like, what? Like, dude, his face, is, his face is, like, brilliant. He's completely white in this robe. He's, like, showing in all of his glory. That don't look like no carpenter no more. That looks like the Son of God in all of his glory and radiance. And they're not just seeing that. It's like, oh, Jesus, you look, you look different right now, right? But then it's more than that. They look, next thing you know, and they're like, they're like LeBron James and Michael Jordan show up, Moses and Elijah, to the party on the mountain. And they're there on the mountain, and it doesn't say, like, they're there, like, doing something, like, crazy. Like, Jesus is so comfortable with them. Why? Because he created them, knew them pretty good. And he wasn't just the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament, but if you go back and read a little closer, you'll see he's a Jesus that showed up in the Old Testament. So he was there at the burning bush, and he, he remembers when he was talking to Moses, and he's like, hey, take off your sandals right now. 
And I don't know, he might be chilling there talking. Moses, hey, remember that time, bro, when I told you to take off your sandals? He's like, yeah, man, freak me out. You know, like, they're ha- the Bible just says what? And Jesus is there talking with them, like a normal conversation. I imagine I'd do a couple things. One, I'd poop my pants, that happening. Number two, I'd be sitting there thinking, is this real life right now? I'm hanging out with Jesus, like this is like lit up Christmas tree Jesus right now, and I got Moses and Elijah with me. It's probably the most, one of the most undertold miracles happening. What's my point? Peter experienced all of this. He witnessed all of these different moments. He experienced Jesus and his intimacy. Yet, at the moment when Jesus in the night was taken by the high priest's guards, the moment where he was taken in secret and he was falsely accused and he was lied against, he was spit on and he was mocked. He was eventually then tortured and he was crucified. My question is, where was Peter? Because he got to be there at all the cool VIP moments that Jesus brought him to. But at the moment that Jesus was in desperate need, or so it would appear in human nature, where was Peter? The Bible speaks about this. It indicates, I believe the writer in the book of Luke said it really well in chapter 22. I love how he he kind of shapes it. I'm going to go 54 to 56. Then seizing him, meaning Jesus, they took him in the night and they led him away and they took him into the house of the high priest. So it's like secret in the middle of the night. You want to know when you're in big trouble and you're getting accused? It's when there's no judge, there's no jury, there's nobody else to watch it. It's in the middle of the night, it's in secret. You are in big trouble. What does it say about Peter? Peter followed at a distance. Quick thought, Holy Spirit, just put it in my heart. How many of you, you're walking around your schools and you ain't walking close enough that people even know you're walking with Jesus. You're just kind of following him at a distance so nobody will catch you. It's not that you're not following him, it's just that nobody knows you're following him. That hurt. That even hurt me. I'm not even in school anymore. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And it says that a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him like, am I seeing this right? Yeah, I think so. She calls him. This man was with him. Like, he was referred to as the Galilean is what he was referred to. And so in another scripture, it's referred to, yeah, hey, I saw him with the Galilean. Now, if you've never read this before, I'm about to just give you like a paraphrased version. If you have read, then you know exactly where I'm about to go. And I'm not going to read you the next verses where Peter's about to deny Jesus, but I'm actually going to read you something even better, where Jesus prophesied that it would happen. That's the scary part is when something is, is prophesied and then you have to step into what Jesus has already said will happen. You understand the Bible is prophetic, right? Every scripture, every bit of it in nature is prophetic. Not the prophetic verses. No, no, no. It's all prophetic. It's already been spoken a long time ago about what is happening, what could happen, what will happen. I'm not talking about Revelation, the end of days, and all the crazy stuff. And like, there's like a dragon and a woman riding a dragon, or I, I twist that a little bit, and a beast, and like, and like snakehead, or I, like, it gets crazy in the Bible. If you've been watching anything with politics at all, at least following Fox News on Instagram like I do, you would see that the world is heading there very quickly. I'm not even talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the Psalms are prophetic. I'm talking about Matthew's prophetic. I'm talking about Exodus is prophetic. You read every bit of the Bible, and if you want to know where your life could head if you follow Jesus or where it could head if you don't, read the Bible, and it'll tell you before you get there. Jesus prophesied. He said, said, you're going to deny me three times. Let's read about it. Luke 22, 34, 
This is only 20 verses before what we just read. Are you catching this? Same chapter. We just read 20 verses before this, though. Jesus answered. He said, I tell you, Peter. What is Jesus answering? Peter said, Jesus, I'll follow you to the end. If everybody else turns their back on you, I won't turn my back on you. I'll be there when it's most needed. You can count on me. I will never deny you. So Jesus answers Peter. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me three times. So here we find ourselves, if you're not connecting with the character Peter, then perk up your ears because I'm talking to you tonight. We are Peter. Not Peter is just Peter. We are Peter. This is us. Peter had sinned against the son of the living God. And in the meantime, do you know what sin does? Peter had missed the mark. When we sin, we miss the big picture of what God wants to do. We're not hitting the bullseye of what our life could be, what our purpose could be, what our future could be. When you miss the mark, you're not able to truly make the mark that God has called you to make in this day, in this age, in this generation, in your family, whatever it is. You know what God's coming to do? He's coming to make a mark on my sons and raise them to serve him. But see, when I miss the mark, I miss the opportunity to do that. Here's where we find Peter right now. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, after he went through the most horrific thing that you can read in the Bible and and. I, the Bible, I can't change it because it's the Bible, but I'll tell you, it doesn't even come close to really trying to give us the insight of what Jesus went through. After he goes through all of this, he finally raises from the dead. The Bible says that he appeared to his disciples on a couple different occasions. Now, this is where it gets scary, too. And if you want to know more about this, you need to go on our YouTube channel, watch the series Heaven and Earth, and it'll give you more context here. But Jesus didn't look the same after the resurrection as he did before the resurrection. He looked different. So it would be like as if, come up here, my brother. Come up here. Come up here. Come, 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 come. It'd be like if this is what Jesus looks like. Wait, no, one second. You're going to be Jesus before the I'm Jesus after the resurrection. This is what Jesus looks like before the resurrection. And this is what Jesus looks like after the resurrection. <laughs> you okay? I didn't really watch as I pushed him, so I apologize. Did you fall? You did? Yeah, Jesus would have caught himself. Dude, sit down. Sorry. My bad, though. Sorry, I wasn't watching. Like in basketball, I can do no-look passes. I can't do no-look Elijah's, so I apologize for that. Bro, I'm just going to say it. You needed to be embarrassed in front of everybody. Like the Lord just, I think the Lord wanted to humble you right now. He says amen. I love you, bro. What were we talking about? Some with Jesus, I think. So Jesus is showing up here, and he don't look the same. And it says he appears a couple different times. So there was like the road to Emmaus. There was like when he, like, what would you call it? Like he miraculizes himself through a room. What's that called? Like ghosts himself through a room. Okay, like, and then Thomas is touching him on stuff. And there's one other time I want to talk about that the Bible indicates is like this monumental moment that really changes things, especially we're going to talk about with our character Peter here, where Jesus shows up after his resurrection. And it's right here at the Sea of Galilee. Now, the question I want to ask is, why did it take place at the Sea of Galilee? Why is that even important? You know, I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we think, well, it's just, it's just kind of recording uh, what had happened. But it's, it's much bigger than that. Is anything in the Bible on accident? Is anything that's been recorded in the Bible unintentional? Or was it intentional that here 
Jesus would show up at a prime spot called the Sea of Galilee. What is important about this? If you read the scriptures here, it says that the disciples were hanging out together. And then in John 21, verse 3, Peter pipes up. He says, I'm out. I'm, I'm, out. I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. I love at your age how I didn't see how important every single word in the Bible was, and I couldn't understand the deeper thought that God was trying to teach me. So I just read it as, well, Peter wants to go fishing, and the boys are going to go fishing. But what you have to understand is this was a lot deeper than this because on the surface this looks like no big deal. But is this really about just the idea of fishing, or is it deeper? Do you realize that Peter was a fisherman by trade, right? Like, before he followed Jesus, fishing is what he did as a profession. So this wasn't like Peter was like, hey, man, like, you guys want to do some fishing? I feel like that'd be fun today. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like Peter was up for a hobby. It wasn't like he was about to go play, like, disc golf or spike, golf, uh, spike ball or what do girls uh, do? Like, ride horses. What's something that girls do? Volleyball. No, I love volleyball, too. That's not, like, just a girl thing. I love volleyball. I can't think. What is it? Pickleball. I like that too. Okay, anyways, pickleball. You get my point. Sorry, I was just trying to bring the whole room in together. It wasn't like he was like, let's go play some pickleball with my grandma, right? It was like, it was deeper than that because fishing here was his profession. So when he went back fishing, this is what I need you to understand. Whoops. He was getting back in the boat, the boat that he had left to follow Jesus. Catch this because this is about to hit you hard in the face if you don't track a little bit of the time and it's going to hurt you when it hits you. Okay? Fast ball to the face. Fast Jesus to the face. So in this moment here, Peter's getting back in the boat, back to the place that Jesus found him first, back from the very position that Jesus called him from. And what did Jesus say? He was there fishing at one point, and Jesus says, follow me, and you're going to fish for people. He was going back to the place that he was before he had met Jesus. Why is that important? I'd ask you this question. What is your boat? What is it that if you go back to it, you know that is not the life that God has for you because he called you from that, not back to that? Now, hear me here. It was just a boat, right? It was just fishing, right? No. When Peter went back there, he was indicating that I have missed the mark. I have denied Jesus. I am far from him. I'm no longer living the life I've been called to live. What's your boat? I know some of you have done it. The Bible talks about it's like a dog that goes back to its vomit when we do it. That's what the Bible describes it as. What's your boat? It's a relationship you know you should not go back to. I love it. I love when guys talk to me too. Guys are so cocky and they're so confident. They're like, Psh, I can totally get that chick. I can totally get those girls, right? And so then what you do is you go back to that boat trying to prove something to who? No one cares. You're not that cool. You're not that important. Your life is not that special. Nobody's watching you as, as much as you think they're watching you, except God who's watching your every move and judging you for when you have missed the mark every single time because you've walked away from Jesus and you've gone back to the boats and done the opposite of what he called you out of. 
You get my point, though, like, what it, what's your boat? What's the thing that God clearly has called you from, and he's called you to live a life not here, not what you knew, not what's comfortable. See, you knew the net, right? You knew what it was like to get in the boat, to throw out the net. It's a weak net. It's the best I could get, okay? It's the best I could get here. Throw out the net, get some fish. <laughs> There it is. Okay. You already know how to do that. I don't, but you do. Okay. You already know how to do that. Maybe God's calling you from the unfamiliar and the comfortable and, or from the familiar and the comfortable to the uncomfortable and the unfamiliar. Maybe he's calling you to a new place to do something that you could never do without him. And that's the whole point of it is if you can do it on your own, is it ever, is it actually worth doing? If you can do it without Jesus, is, is, does it even have greatness attached to it? If you can do it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, is, is, is it actually even worth anything? Is it purposeful if you can do it on your own and you don't need God's strength? So here, God, Jesus was calling Peter to follow him from the boat. And so Peter wasn't just fishing. He went back to the place that was the opposite of what Jesus had called him from. And that's a convicting word for some people in the room here tonight. Because do you know how I know that you're not right with Jesus? Because you're not in obedience. You're doing the opposite of what he asked of you. You know how you know if you're in obedience? You will see it match up around you. You will, you will see leadership come around you with things. You will see friends come around you with things. You will see people align with what you're doing. They'll say, man, I respect you so much, man. I just got to honor you because I see you following Jesus. But many times it's the opposite. You're spending all of your time trying to convince everyone that what you're doing is right rather than people reminding you, affirming you, telling you, wow, what I see in you can only be Jesus. But we're sitting here doing the opposite. We're trying to convince everybody that I've heard from God and this is Jesus rather than I see Jesus in you. Somebody stopping you and be like, man, can I just encourage you? Man, when I look at you, I see Jesus. You've burned the ships. You've left the net behind. That net doesn't work anyways. We didn't catch any good fish with that thing anyways. You left it behind, and you, you're doing something so much bigger now. See, that's the first problem, but that's not, even, that's not even the biggest problem. Can I tell you why it gets worse? See, when you miss the mark, it gives you the opportunity to cause others to miss the mark as well. Look at this scripture. John 21, verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Stop. Take it in. Get ready. Here we go. And they said... We'll go out with you. The issue of you not, not, not making the mark and the issue of you missing the mark is not that you missed the mark. The issue is that you might in the meantime cause others to miss the mark as well because they're watching you, they're following you, and you just think you're just going out fishing, doing your own thing, and you're just going to live your life, and you're going to do what you want. No, 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 no. This life is never just about us. This life affects everyone. It doesn't just like affect my wife and my sons. It affects you. It doesn't just affect you. Affects you. It affects people that still are watching me on Facebook that I went to high school with. It's still affecting them. It affects the random person that I, I meet, meet at a, a Kroger or whatever it is or a gas station. It, we affect one another as human beings. We're not even talking about as believers in Jesus. As human beings, we affect one another. So now let's bring Jesus into the equation. When we miss the mark, <clears throat> we bring the opportunity forward for others to miss the mark as well. Peter said, I'm going to go out fishing. They said, we will go fishing with you as well. 
So this is what I love about Jesus. What I love about Jesus is not that he always gives me what I want. Now, in the, can I tell you, in the meantime, I'm ticked about it. I don't like it. I'm frustrated. My family did this last week, man. This last, last week, yeah, this last week was probably one of the most humbling weeks of my life. I felt like around every turn, I just felt stupid. I felt like in front of everybody, I was just messing up. I, I, I cried more than I did probably in a while. My wife laid my head on the pillow every night. She'd say, okay, are you ready to receive? That's how it always starts. When she tells me if I'm ready to receive, I'm going to tell you, I'm not ready to receive. <laughs> but I know I need to listen. So I stopped and I listened. It was the most humbling weeks of my life. And the Lord reminded me, very one important scripture, not even my sermon here tonight, but you need to know this. Humility comes before honor. If you're going to live a life worthy of honor, then you have to be willing to be humbled in the midst of your life to receive the honor that God would use you for to reach people. And what we have to understand is that when we miss the mark, it affects others. What I am thankful for is that many times, though, God is so good to us that he does not let us prosper in the meantime that we might either go way off course or it might pull many off course as well. You know what? what I'd say it this way. Look at this verse 3. I believe it's verse 3. 21 verse 3. So they went out. All the homies got in the boat. But that night, three words, I love it. They caught nothing. Now, in the meantime, if I'm honest with you, that ticks me off. When I feel like things aren't going my way, things aren't turning out how I planned for them to. My life isn't coming together like I wanted. But if I could tell you the thing I'm most thankful about is that God many times doesn't let me catch any fish. I'm thankful that many times his greatest blessing on my life is not what he has given to me, but what he has held from me. And many times people are just waiting to get the next good thing they can get rather than realizing that many times what you don't get is the greatest thing that you just got. Because if your hands are already full with things that aren't of God, there's no room for the good things he wants to give you. And I love the fact that as I read this scripture, you can see here that they're out there in the boat and they're not getting anything. They ain't catching a single thing. They've been out there, and probably because they had a really bad net when they're fishing, but they've been out there and they've been fishing and, and they're not getting anything. And I imagine almost there was this moment, this flashback moment that they had where they're realizing we're not catching any fish right now at all. And if it was me, at least, my brain would trigger back to another moment when that happened. Because this happened for them in Luke chapter 5, very similar situation, where they're out fishing and they're not catching any fish. And there was a number of different moments where Jesus had come upon Peter and he had asked, said, Peter, follow me. He actually didn't ask. He told him. I love that about Jesus as well. Such a boss. It's not like, hey, would you like to follow me? Follow me. And one of the first moments... One of, I believe there was like four different moments that Jesus came upon Peter and he said, would you follow me? I keep word as a question. I'm being too nice. Jesus, follow me. Okay, follow me. It was when they were out in the boat and in Luke chapter five, I'm gonna start at verse one. And one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. People are just flocking in. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus is sitting, and Simon, if you don't know, that was his name before Peter. We're going to get to that in a second. And he's sitting in this boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night 
Three words again. And we haven't caught anything. You can see the repetition here where he's triggering the moment when I know how to, you recognize him? He knows how to do this very well. There's never a time where he doesn't catch fish. There's maybe high and low seasons, but you just don't catch any fish when you're a professional fisherman. So he's going back. I remember that time. Now, we have a record in Luke 5, but it was just a memory for him of his journey with Jesus. I remember what I didn't catch any fish. And so Jesus is saying, throw out your net, do this. And he's like, man, you don't realize we haven't caught any. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. It was at this moment Jesus was showing him the power of what could happen when he got a hold of him as a fisherman. But he's like, listen, I'm not calling you just to be a fisherman. What does he say here? Luke 5, 11. So they pulled their boats up to the shore. This is why it's important. They left everything and they followed him. He says, I'm calling you to be a fisher of people, not just what you know, but what I can teach you. How many of you, you'd be honest in the room tonight that you stick to just what you know and you don't leave the bounds of what you know because that's scary for you? It's scary to think that there's unknowns and there's variables that you can't control and you don't like that. You like to stick to what's predictable and what you know. Could I just burst every bubble in the room tonight? If you're going to follow Jesus, it's only full of unknowns. It's not full of a, a, a bunch of straight, simple, written on Google Maps terms and, and easy things to follow. It's step by step, day by day, following his word, having faith. It's a twisty, turny road sometimes where you don't know where you're going to go, but you're trusting that as you've left the boats behind, that what he has for you in the unknown is greater than what you already know. So in Luke chapter 5, we can give the Lord some praise. So... In Luke chapter 5, Peter left everything behind to follow Jesus. But now in John 21, we find him back to the boats again. Not just him, but he's got the disciples. And this is what I found. People that go off course with God don't like to do it alone. They like to take people with them. I've seen that. I've seen that throughout pastoring and watching my dad, our pastor, pastor, and my papa, when people go off with God, they want to take as many people down with them as they can. Why? Because misery loves company. So here's Peter back in the boats. He's got the disciples with him, back in a place he's not supposed to be, back on the water where he liked it, but it's not what he was called to. Just because you like something doesn't mean it's what you're called to. And in verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus on the shore and their boat, it was about 100 yards distance, about the size of a football field. When you're fishing, it's really dark. It's really early. That's when the fish are going to bite the best. So they can't see that far, number one, and it's really dark. So they don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No. Here they are again, not catching anything. They answered, he said, throw your net on the right side. And I've obviously sitting there, I've been thinking, like, we already did that. We're just on the left side now. You kind of, you came late to the park. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. See, they couldn't see, but the words were starting to sound like something that they had heard before. Sometimes when your spiritual sight fails you and you can't see beyond what you are, you got to tune into his voice again. 
They might not have been able to recognize or see his face, but this sounds familiar, telling us how to throw our net. So when they did, they were unable to haul the, haul the nets because the large number of fish. There was a, 153 fish in total, huge fish that filled this net. But at this time, I love it because it didn't break. And this is what was indicating to me. The first time the net broke, and it was almost symbolic to me, this is broken. This is not the best. I'm going to leave this behind, and I'm going to follow Jesus. But this time, the net didn't break. They got to keep all the fish. What do you do when you have everything in your hand that you want, and Jesus is saying, will you give that up for me? Not a broken net that's lost all the fish. What about when you got it right here? It's what you've been waiting for again. It's what feels right. It's what feels comfortable. It's what feels easy. And that's in your hand. The Bible says the net didn't break. And then the next verse, it says that as Peter is in the boat, it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, referring to John, he's who wrote this book. John turns to Peter and he says, it is the Lord, meaning we ain't catching this many fish on accident, going from not catching any to catching all these fish. It is the Lord. And the Bible says that as soon as Peter heard that it is the Lord, the Bible says he wrapped his outer garments around him and he jumped out of the boat. It's literally like he swan dove out of the boat, left all his friends in the boat, and he swam back to Jesus. Catch me here. This is what I think is crazy. He was so now fixated on the fact he had Jesus, all the people that he dragged to go fishing, he left them out there. It was almost like, hey, I was wrong, guys. We shouldn't have been out here in the first place. I'm out of here. He swan dives out. He's swimming back there, which and I guess in my opinion, I guess maybe it took some time to get the fish in there, but the oars, I think, just would have been a lot quicker, like at 100 yards. But he had one focus. I am going to get to Jesus. I got to talk to him. I got some things that I need to clear up. I've done some stuff wrong. I got some things that if I don't talk to Jesus about these things, if we don't get some of these things fixed, I'm going to live my life knowing that I missed the mark and I never brought to Jesus what I really needed to, to step into a life that is marked. I think Peter came to this realization here. In Luke 5, and now the same realization in John 21 that we're reading. Very simply this. When he fished in his own strength, he missed the mark. But when he did it through Jesus, he made, them, made a mark. Does that make sense? So it's almost like this. In his own power, because the Bible says it's not by might or by power, but by the Spirit of God. When he recognized that he was doing things in his own strength, he realized, I'm not catching any fish. But at the point that I cast the net after I was told by Jesus and has his power, I realized that I am now living the marked life through Jesus and his power. Even though Peter continually missed the mark, you all know all the times he missed the mark, right? He cut off, cut off an, ear's do, uh, an ear's dude, a dude's ear as well. And, and, and an ear's dude as well. He cut off a dude's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a moment when he was kind of telling Jesus not to go and die and all this stuff, and he was being a stumbling block, and Jesus literally looks at him. He goes, get behind me, Satan. He missed the mark there as well. 
Here, we just talked about it. We find him. He's denying Jesus three times. Here he does it again. He goes back to the boat. It's like over and over and over again, he's missed the mark. But do you know what I appreciate about Peter? What I appreciate about Peter is that if you look at the end of Peter's life, the Bible shows us his journey, and then you look at church history from there, that Peter did, he was a cru, uh, murdered, martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. But he didn't want to be crucified because that's what they were going to do, the way Jesus was. So they asked, he asked him, would you flip the cross upside down? How did he get from where he was at the boats all the way to there? Because what I appreciate about Peter is that he had the ability to finish strong. How did he make a mark when he was continually missing the mark? How did he get to a point where he finished so strong for Jesus, crucified as a martyr, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who just spread the gospel to the ends of the earth? How do you, how do, you do it? Two very simple things. Are you ready for your mind to be blown? Get this in your heart. If you can do this, you'll make it. You ready? I don't know. I don't know if I'll make it to the end. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Like, there's so much temptation. It's so easy for me to screw up. I don't know if I'll make it. I don't know if I can follow Jesus the whole way. I don't know. You ready? Two things that Peter did. It's the only reason he made it. He had humility and repentance. That's it. Because most of the time he was screwing up if you read the Bible. Most of the time he was saying things he shouldn't have said. Most of the times he was doing things he shouldn't have done. Cutting ears dudes off. Like, yes, I switched on purpose. I realize what I did now. Like, who does that? Why did Peter make it? Because he chose to humble himself and repent when he did wrong. That's it. That's literally it. The Lord's, the Lord's been speaking to, that me. I, to me. I want to be a person that is always willing to humble myself and always willing to repent. Why? Because it's the hardest things to do. Because we want to be right. We want to get what we want, do what we want, say what we want, be what we want. But that's not what God's called us to. God's called us to a life of humility and repentance. Let me tell you this. When you look at the life of Peter, he might have continually missed the mark, but the reason that he made a mark was because Jesus is the only one that can make a mark. You don't have Jesus, you can't do it. How did he get to Jesus? Humility and repentance. Why? Because it's the only thing he listens to. If you do not come to God humble and repentive, he doesn't even hear you. He says, talk to the hand because the face ain't even listening to you right now. I ain't listening. If you don't show that you're broken and that you need me, if you don't repent of your sin and realize what I've done is wrong, I'm not following your word. I'm not following how you've set up the church. I'm not following who you are. You don't do that, I'm not even listening to you. Yes, I love you with all my heart, he says, but I can't listen to you because I cannot agree with that wickedness and bring that to my father because the father cannot be in agreement with sin. The Father cannot come by rebellion or wickedness or anybody missing the mark. So Jesus has to go, okay, I see you're humble and you're repentant. I forgive you. Come on, let's get to the Father now. You have full connection to the Father. But until you do that, you can't get to the Father. I'm sorry. You can't be there. So Peter comes here. He's fully repentant. He's fully humble. And you know what happens? Repentance leads to reinstatement. This is the moment he swims back in. He sits down with Jesus by the fire. Jesus has some fish cooking already. He's like, hey, bro, you didn't need to go back and do the fish. I already caught some this morning and had it ready for you at the fire. Bible doesn't say that, but that's interesting, huh? Many times if we would just be humble enough to surrender ourselves to Jesus, he already provides and offers everything we need. We don't have to do it on our own. 
And he sits down, and there the, there the fish are, and they're sitting by the fire. And he says, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions here because it's time for reinstatement if you want to follow me. And I ask my son this question all the time. I think it's because I love just hearing it. And I've taught my son Zeal now. I always ask the question I'm going to read here in Scripture is, do you love me? I'll be like, come on, Z, do you love me? Do you love me, bud? He'll be like, yum. It's like he doesn't say no or yes, so I don't really know exactly what he's saying. I think it's a yes. I'm like, he goes, yum, yum. I don't know if he's hungry. I'm trying to teach him how to say yes. So now what I teach him is, okay, when I say I love you, I want you to say I love you too. We've been working on that. So I go, I love you, and he kind of just looks at me. That's what he said. I go, I love you too. He goes, I love you too. And he always takes the two up for some reason. It's like super cute. So Jesus is asking, just as I do with my son Zealand, Jesus is asking Peter this question. This is what I find interesting. Peter denied Jesus three times. This now is recorded as the third appearance that Jesus made to his disciples. So what does Jesus do? He asks Peter the question three times, do you love me? Verse 17 of the same chapter, Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What is he saying? Listen, if you really love me, then from this day forward, you're going to be trustworthy in the way you go forward with me. You're going to be humble in the way that you love and lead people. You're going to be a servant. You're going to take care of my people because Jesus knew that there was many people. Isn't this crazy? That all of us, Jesus knew that all of us would be here one day from the overflow of that moment at the boat and that Peter was going to begin to build the church and steward the church and many of his disciples would build the church. And from that then, all the fathers of the faith over time to the point that here I am and here you are right now and we are still a part of Jesus building his church. See, Jesus saw the big picture. So he's saying, truly, do you love me? Then I'm going to need you to feed my sheep. And then he ends the entire thought with just two words. It's the same two words that Jesus had asked him almost three and a half years ago. Verse 19, if you love me, then two words. He says, follow me. You know why I think that is interesting? Because he's still telling us that today. Jesus knew that he was going to ascend to the Father and was going to leave, yet he said, follow me. What did he mean? It, he said, he's telling him, it might not be in the way you've known it on earth, but you still have to follow my ways and my word. And the Holy Spirit was about to be sent, follow my spirit. Follow leadership as you will be it. Follow, Jesus set up all of these things so that we could follow him. So even when he wasn't there anymore, we could still follow Jesus. I imagine when Peter heard the words, follow me. Do you have certain trigger words? Like if somebody says them, they just trigger things in you. If somebody says a, a certain phrase or a word or does something, certain ways it kind of just like triggers you a little bit. I imagine almost when Jesus said, follow me, it triggered something in Peter to reflect back on his time with Jesus. You, remember, you realize the first time Peter and Jesus ever met, this is how it went down. Peter and Andrew, the brother of Jesus, they were disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was somebody in the desert, Jesus' cousin. He was baptizing people, and he was telling them, listen, you need to repent of your sin for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so finally, Jesus shows up in this one moment on the scene, and, and John the Baptist calls him out, and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So Peter wasn't there, but Andrew was there. 
Andrew hears John the Baptist say, look, behold, the Lamb of God. So Andrew's freaking out because he's like, I know that John the Baptist has been telling us that he's not the Messiah, but dude, this guy just looked normal. He's like 30 years old. He's kind of like a like, little bit like worked in. He's a carpenter, you can tell. Like he's got dirt in his face. He just walked up, and John the Baptist makes a big scene. He goes, look, everybody, hey, 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 listen up. This is the Lamb of God right here. And Andrew's like, I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out. Like, this is the dude we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the one that's been prophesied about. This is the one all along. We've been in the desert, found this dude, John the Baptist, telling us that he's coming, and he's here. So he's like, Peter, you've got to go meet him. So I'm about to read you Peter and Jesus' first moment together. First impressions are important, y'all. Do you understand this? How many of you are good at first impressions? Okay, so <laughs> most people are like, that is not me. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say Jesus is good at them because he's Jesus, but he just did something that people do not do with first impressions. Jesus, he's walking up. Andrew grabs Peter. He's like, come on, you need to go meet him. Come on, come, go meet him. So he comes up the first time that he walks up to Jesus, the first thing that Jesus has to say. Jesus looked at him, kind of looks at him up and down. He says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be Cephas. He changes his name on the spot. It translates to Peter in the Greek. Cephas is the Aramaic, Peter's the Greek. I want you to imagine you're meeting someone for the first time, and they walk up and you go, my name's Savannah, or my name's Jimmy, or my name's Elena, or, or my name is uh, Peter Cottontail. I'm just trying to think of something, right? So you walk up and you say, no, you don't look like a Peter Cottontail. Someone changes your name. No, you don't look like a Dave. You look like a Zelda. Well, I wanted Link, but I guess I'll take Zelda. Right? Sorry, I've been playing some, uh, been playing some Zelda Breath of the Wild lately on my Switch. I want you to imagine this first impression, though. Jesus, the first time meeting Peter, he says, Nah, that ain't right. You're not Simon. From this day forward, you're Cephas. You are Peter. Do you realize that Peter, it translates from the word Petra. Petra meant rock. He said, hey, listen, I know your mama and your dada. I know that they named you Simon or whatever, and that's cute and that's good and all, but listen, I'm changing that today. From this day forward, you're not Simon anymore. You will be Peter from this day forward. And I love in Matthew 16, verse 18, I love how Jesus takes it further and says, listen, I'm really telling you who you have been called and created to be. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And through you, Peter, I'm going to use you in such a way that even the gates of hell will not prevail against what you're going to do in these next coming days. So you might have been a Simon that your dad called you that, but come on, I'm your daddy now. You're going to be Peter from now on. Who does that but Jesus? Who just walks up on the spot and changes someone's name but Jesus? you got to catch this, though. Petra means rock, but he wasn't saying, listen, he's not, I'm not saying you're the rock. He said, I'm saying you're a rock, and I'm going to use you to build upon me. Can I tell you, Jesus is the rock. If you smell what the rock 
Okay, that's good enough. So, Jesus is the rock. There's one rock. It's Jesus. He's like, I want to make it clear to you. Listen, on you, you're a rock, but you're more like a pebble, and I'm a boulder. I'm gonna boulder. I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna use you. But it's it's upon me. I think people get it twisted when they read the scripture. Like, man, Peter was used for such great things. No, Peter was humble and repentant enough to be used by Jesus for great things. It was all Jesus. It was just Peter's humility and repentance to be used. That's all it was. That's literally all that it was. That's all it was. And this is a powerful moment when he changes Peter's name because it's not just a, a simple name change. He's prophesying over him. He's saying, you have been this, but I'm telling you the days to come, you will be this. And this is the power of what Jesus does when he steps into your life. Do you know why? Because Jesus did that before Peter went back to the boats. He did it before Peter denied him. What does that mean? It means Jesus knew that Peter would miss the mark, yet he still called him a rock. What does that mean for you? That means Jesus knows you're going to mess up. Jesus knows you're going to sin. Jesus knows that you're going to turn from him at times. Jesus knows that some of you at school, you're following him from a distance. You want as least amount of people as possible. That's not what he wants from you, but that's what he knows you are up to. Yet, you know what the power of it is? Even when he knows that you have and will miss the mark, he still believes in you. He still believes that if you would come to him with a repentant and humble heart, that he can use you. And I don't know where some of you find yourself today. Like, I don't know what your name means. It could be your last name and your legacy and the heritage that you've been given, or it could be just what your name actually means, or it could just be a metaphor for you. Some of you, the name like, that covers your family, it's full of adultery and alcoholism and mental illness and people that are not following the Lord. Some of you, you need a name change tonight because... The name that you're carrying, especially inside your mind, is only, is, is, is only depression and anxiety and suicide and a bunch of stuff. And you're walking around thinking, this is as good as it gets. I'm going to tell you, you need Jesus to walk up and have a first impression with you. You need to have him walk up and say, listen, I know this is what your name might be. I know this is what your parents might have said about you. I know this is what a teacher might have said. I know this is what a co-worker might have said. I know this is what people might think about you. But listen, I think something different. I'm going to give you a name that prophesies to your future and not just talks about your past. I'm only here to forgive the past so we can really take care of the future. It's the future that matters. It's the future that's where we're made to be found. But the issue is we many times are getting stuck in the past. Just we got to let him forgive that stuff so he can prophesy over where we're going not just over where we've been. I believe that Jesus wants to give some of you a name change tonight. Literally, he wants to like speak something over you tonight. Some of you might even hear a word that when you receive this word, you'll say, you know what? Jesus has this to say about me and even the gates of hell can't prevail against what he has to say. I'm gonna walk out here with my head up believing in who I am in Jesus and not just who I am by myself. The power of a name change is that when you receive it, man, it, it can take you far. This Wednesday, 10 years ago, follow me? 10 years ago, this Wednesday, I had for the first time introduced who was in that ministry at the time. Now, as we know to be We Are One, but it's a whole new group of people. 
Over the years, people have gotten married and some people have gone into leadership and some people have moved away and are living for God out of another state, whatever it is. But we've seen in the last 10 years something only that could be God. And this Wednesday, 10 years ago, was the night that for the first time we had this painting on this wall and I had this like huge sheet covering it and I had everybody do a drum roll and I ripped it down and it said, we are one on it. 10 years ago, this Wednesday. See, we went by another name. We were another ministry, another vision, another thing. But God spoke something very specific to us. I had to open up the Bible and I read in John 17, 11, and man, when it said, when it said, I pray that they may be one as we are one, it lit my spirit so hard. And can I tell you, every time I read, see, hear John 17, 11, every time I hear those three words, we are one, it does something to me. Why? Because I didn't come up with it. God named us that, not me. And I want to just make this abundantly clear tonight because the favor of God in this ministry over the last 10 years, only he gets the glory and it could only be him. This ministry is not built on David Christ. It's not built on any pastor. It's not built on any leader. It's not built on a band or songs or a conference. It's not built on We Are One College or an internship or any of these things. This ministry has been, it is right now, and it will be built only on the rock, Christ Jesus, because he is the one that gave us the name. He is the reason that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And he is the one, come somebody, that he will build his church. This ain't my church. It ain't your church. We are his church. God, we give you all the glory for the last 10 years. It's been you and you alone, Jesus. It could only be you. It could have been no one else. It could have been nothing else. This is Jesus. And God, we give you the glory for it. And we say, Jesus, build your church. Jesus, build your church. Lord, we want to be who you've called us to be. We are one. This is who we want to be, not because it's some catchy phrase or something that we put on merch or it's on a social media account. Lord, none of that stuff matters. These are just fish hooks because we've been called to be fishers of men, to pull people in, to know who Jesus is. But God, we want to carry the name because it's who you've called us to be. And I just speak to the hearts of every person in the room tonight. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I just imagine this moment when Peter sits down with Jesus and he's reflecting back on all the moments that he has missed the mark. And let me even tell you this. After he ascended into heaven, Peter did it again. It wasn't like he got it all right after that. He missed the mark again. It's recorded in Scripture. He, he's called out by the Apostle Paul in front of all the other leaders because he missed the mark. But I imagine that he's sitting there in this realization that at this moment, Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep that he realizes after all these times that I have missed the mark, here it is in this moment that I am marked for the glory of God. And I don't know what you're going through and where you find yourself with every single person in this room. I know some of the needs and the things in this room, but I don't know all of it. And let me tell you, listen, I never will know all of it because some of you just hide it 
you try to live it in secret and in private and you don't want anybody to know things and I get it, you're young and I'm hoping that this sinks in but I understand I understand what I'm up against because I was where you're seated, seated right now. But I guess what I want to present to you tonight is will you be humble enough, will you be repentive enough to say, Jesus, I know that I've missed the mark. I know that I can't do this without you and I know that I've been following at a distance and I know that I've gone back to the boats and take all the, take all the different analogies and the metaphors, you get my point. Will you be humble and repentant enough to just tell Jesus the truth that you can't do it without him because you know that's the truth. You don't have the strength, you don't have the power, you don't have the wisdom. You can't do it without Jesus. And so you need his forgiveness and his grace. And you need him through the blood that he shed on the cross to come and touch your life and mark you tonight for his glory, for his purpose, and for the future that he has for you. So if that's you tonight, I don't want you to raise your hand or do anything like that. I want you to let Jesus know it's not for me, it's for Jesus that you want to follow him closely, that you don't want to follow him at a distance. I want you to acknowledge tonight that you know that you went back to the place that you're not supposed to be doing the things that you're not supposed to do and being the person that you know you have not been called to be. I want you to acknowledge that tonight. And I want you to do it in a manner that I think is worthy of Jesus. Look up at me and I'm going to have you do it in a second. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before man, then I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if you deny me before each other, I'll deny you before the Father. So here's my point. With every head up and every eye open, if you want to stand for Jesus, then you're going to do it in this room in front of everybody. Because if you can't do it in this room where there's a bunch of people that believe in you and love you and, and want to see you do it, then you won't do it in a world that will hate you for it, will come against you for it, will call you a bunch of names for it. I just sat down with a young people, young person this week, and they were just telling me about all the different names they're getting called and church kid and all this kind of stuff. And I said, good. You know what that means? That means that people know that you're following Jesus. Listen, if you want to follow at a distance, no one will know, and you'll sneak by. But if you want to follow close, you could see the, the greatest harvest and outpouring of souls, people coming to know Jesus, people's lives being changed, people being transformed, not by what you say, but just your willingness to walk close to him and follow him. So if you can't do it in this room, then I definitely don't think it, that you can do it outside of this room. So with every eye open and every head bowed, if you want to follow Jesus, I want you to go stand right by the front right here. This is for everyone in the room. It's not for the, like, well, I'm giving my heart to Jesus for the first time. Or This is like everybody. Press in, press in, press in. Let everybody in. Be right next to each other. Press in. Here's what I think some of you don't realize that are coming up because I do understand how this works, that some people are coming up only because other people came up. And so I'll just let you know this. Tomorrow, good luck because you will be tested on it. And please hear me. I'm, I'm going to give you a wild and real right now. If you're up here faking it just because everybody's looking, it doesn't impress God at all. and He's going to judge the junk out of you when you walk out of here. 
And he, he's not going to have the same mercy he's willing to have right now because you don't need to fake it to anybody. You know what would be better? You know what my favorite thing is? Is when people don't respond, they sit in their seat afterwards. I go, hey, why didn't, why didn't you respond? What's going on in your life? They're like, I don't know if I believe in God. Cool. We can work with that because at least you're being real and we can have a real conversation. And I'm just going to love on you and we're going to walk through it together. Versus, man, you know who I like the least? Church kids. That's who I like the least. Bunch of people faking it in front of their peers, trying to just like pretend like they're somebody they're not. Listen, God ain't calling you to be a church kid. He's calling you to be a child of him, not of the church. We are his church. But so many times we put this stock in like, well, I'm a church kid and I don't do that. No, come on, listen. You, you might have done that, but you did something else. Let's go back to it. Romans 3.23. Let's start. Let's end where we started. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is everybody in this room. So if you're here tonight and only you can know if you're real with God, and I always love to challenge you because I'm not looking to be impressed by anybody. And you can fake it with me, but don't mean anything to God. So that's why I challenge you. That's why I get in your face a little bit right now. Because listen, if, if I don't challenge it a little bit, when you already know I love you and I want to see you win and I want to see you make it to the end, what are you going to do when somebody definitely does not love you and they're challenging you? So we're going to keep our eyes open. And this will be super awkward because like, you're like, where do I look? Who do I look at? Because I usually am looking at my eyelids. But we're going to pray this prayer out loud. If you want to dedicate your life and soul to Jesus Christ, then let's do it. Say this, say, Jesus, I missed the mark. I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. So I'm telling you tonight, and I'm saying it out loud with my eyes open in front of everybody here as well, that I need your forgiveness. That the blood that you shed on the cross, I need it to mark my life. Let's make this honest here. I won't make you do this out loud, but make it honest. I want you to tell God right now, if you can whisper or say inside your head, for you, what's the boats? What have you gone back to? Let's even talk about like this, this last week. What have you gone back to? Talk about it. Talk to God for a second. What have you gone back to? Where have you missed the mark? Let's talk about it specifically. Where do you need to change? Do you need to sit at a different table at lunch? Do you change your rhythm with your coworkers because you know what you're getting sucked into? Is it you know that if you would just not bring your cell phone to this place at this time, you'd get in a lot less trouble? What is it? Where have you gone back to the boats? You got it? You got something? We can just be honest with God on some level. Say, I've gone back to the boats. Say that. I confess that I went back to the fishing I knew when I've been called to a different type of fishing. I've been called to a life greater than I can handle. So I tell you tonight, Jesus, that if you don't help me, if you don't give me the strength, I can't do it. So say this, say, so I receive tonight the power of the Holy Spirit and your strength. Say, I feel it in my veins.
I feel it in my bones. I can feel it in my gut. I love saying, say, I can feel the guts of the gospel. And now I, I know that what I've been called to, I know who I've been called to. And I'm ready to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. Can we just honor who Jesus is tonight? Amen.